Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 111, Revelation 13, verses 12 through 13. In our last podcast, we began our study of the second beast, the false prophet. This is the demonic spirit that works through the institutions of mankind, bringing together a synchronicity of thought that will ultimately result in the peoples of the world worshiping the beast. The second beast comes across as a lamb, but he has the voice of a dragon. Joint authority, Revelation 13, 12. He now exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. This starts an unbelievable and shocking use of the code where we find out that this second beast is even now doing all manner of unbelievable things. To start, he now exercises all the authority of the beast in his presence. As mentioned previously, we can see his activity all around us with the political, educational, media, big tech platforms just coalescing on a message supported by a twisted sense of personal goodness, syncretism, and inclusiveness, where all are demanded to follow the view of those with the prominent culture and progressive voice, and those who do not are vilified, nullified, marginalized, and canceled out. We learned that the dragon granted to the beast great authority, such that the beast took over the rule of the seven heads and the ten horns. Thus, the second beast has been given similar authority over the demonic infrastructure that will support the beast. Using more familiar terms, if the beast is the president, the second beast is the chief of staff who commands the entire demonic infrastructure in accordance with the desires of the first beast. Moreover, he exercises this authority in the presence, or literally, the face of the beast. This indicates that this second beast operates in complete unity with the beast, just as the Holy Spirit does with the Father and the Son. For all that the second beast does is managed or supervised, so to speak, by the first beast. Thus, there's no... Competitive dynamic in their relationship. Rather, the second beast is there to lift up, magnify, and glorify the beast. Thus, he utilizes this authority over the demonic infrastructure to secure power and control in the hands of the beast over the nations, structures of humanity, systems, and peoples of the world. And beyond control, he secures their worship, their undying loyalty. All about force. Revelation 13, 12. He now makes the earth and those who are now dwelling in it to in the future worship the first beast whose deadly wound was caused to be healed. This demon, the second beast, is even now on the loose and he makes or causes the earth, the systems, institutions, and structures of humanity and those who are now dwelling in it, both the demonic spirits and those who have now made their abode in the world instead of in the heavens, to in the future worship the beast. In fact, every moment of our now, from times past till the present, 
This second beast has been prepping the world for the arrival of the beast. And that day, they will be forced to worship the beast. Like the dragon, this second beast is all about force, compulsion, threat, and terror. He does not induce. He does not encourage. He does not suggest. Rather, he makes or causes. The Spirit, once again, ensures that we do not miss the connection. There have been many men who have arrived on the scene and due to their terrible atrocities, made the people of their day think they were in the presence of the Antichrist. From Nero to Emperor Constantinus to Napoleon to Stalin to Hitler to Mao. And rest assured, each of these men were likely possessed by demons, but none were possessed by the beast, the demon who arises out of the abyss, the one who will in the future be worshipped by the world. The scars that remain. And he now makes the earth and those who are now dwelling in it to in the future worship the first beast whose deadly wound was caused to be healed. This is now the second time the spirit brings up the, quote, deadly wound. He previously mentioned it in Revelation 13, 3, where we were told, and one of his heads, as if caused to being butchered to death, and his deathly wound had been caused to be healed. In the first instance, the spirit was clear that it was the demonic spirits and not humanity who in the past worshipped both the beast and the dragon. But now we have the inclusion of humanity. But this combined worship is a future event, an event that will occur when the beast is released from the abyss and the demonic spirits are convinced that he is their God. The wound. Clearly, this deadly wound that was caused to be healed is of great significance. And the Spirit brings it up again in order that we do not become confused as to whom he is addressing. This deadly wound functions as a unique marker so that everyone knows he is addressing the beast, the demonic spirit who will be set free from the abyss. The king of the abyss, whose name is destruction and destroyer, the false messiah who will return to the earth. The second beast functions as the beast's propaganda minister, a false prophet declaring lies. And he is very busy, but he is not the beast. And no other spirit who attempts to make his mark on this world is the beast, for only the beast uniquely bears the mark of the deadly wound that was caused to be healed. Why is this so significant? It all comes down to the importance of symbols. The beast will be worshipped as God. In fact, the false prophet ensures he is worshipped as God, as the Christ, the Messiah. From Revelation 12, 3, we know that the whole earth, a reference to the demonic spirits who had been cast down to the earth, will wonder or be in a state of amazement because this beast has seemingly risen from the dead, and they worshipped both the beast and the dragon. They had believed that the beast was dead. They were never expecting the deadly wound to be healed. Remember, this wound was something terrible as it was described using the language of a butchered animal. Thus, they also never expected the beast to rise from the dead, so to speak. And all of this is to complete the picture that the beast is the Messiah, the Christ, the one for whom the Jews and so many in the world have been waiting. It will be as if he is the second incarnation of Christ, the poser. We know from the Codex that after his resurrection, Jesus' body bore the scars of his crucifixion. In fact, he invited his disciples, those who were doubting he had risen in the flesh, 
and thought he was a spirit to reach out and touch the scars. You are commanded to see my hands and my feet, that it is now I, myself, and you are commanded to touch me and commanded to see, for a spirit does not now have flesh and bones as you see that I now have. Jesus bore the scars in his resurrected body. He even went so far as telling Thomas, the doubter, you are commanded to now reach here with your finger and are commanded to see my hands and now reach here your hand and you're commanded to put it into my side and do not choose to be unbelieving, but believing. And of course, in Revelation 5, 6, we're shown a picture of Jesus as a lamb that had been slain, literally a lamb caused to being butchered. As such, Jesus bears the scars of death. The scars of death are a significant marker which identify the coming Messiah. When those who are of the earth, the demons, see the beast bearing just these scars of death, they will believe that he is their promised savior who will rescue them from the wrath of the lamb. Remember, these demonic spirits are those which Psalm chapter 2 verses 2 through 3 speaks about. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed Messiah, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. They want to be set free from their despotic master, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies. And with the prophetic deceptions that come forth from the dragon, with the sweeping of his tail, they full on expect that the beast, the one who bears the scars of death, to be their resurrected Messiah who saves. It would be totally in the dragon's nature, by the way, that twisted serpent, to manipulate the word of God as he did with Eve in the garden, to sweep his tale of prophetic lies and distortion, to convince those who are now dwelling in the earth to believe that the following scriptures are fulfilled in the beast, their Messiah. Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. Behold, my servant, quote, the beast, will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you. My people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of man due to the deathly wound. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings, and shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Isaiah 53, 4-5 Yet we ourselves esteemed the beast, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed, and we will have the victory. Humanity joins in worship, and he now makes the earth and those who are now dwelling in it to in the future worship the first beast whose deadly wound was caused to be healed. In addition to the demonic spirits, it seems that humanity, at least a certain segment of humanity, is also looking for the scars that remain. The spirit specifically includes them in the reference, those who are now dwelling in it, in the earth, that is, in the realm of the demonic spirits. It's hard to keep track of all these little distinctions. I get it. But we did touch on this before in Revelation 13, 8, which gave us the understanding of the phrase, those who are now dwelling on the earth, or in this case, those who are now dwelling in it. This phrase specifically identifies this group as those whose name, singular, 
has not been caused to be written in the book of life of the Lamb. Later in Revelation 17, 8, the Spirit expands on this identity and adds those whose name, again singular, has not been caused to be written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. The segment of humanity is identified by this one name. This is a specific reference to a segment of humanity that, according to Romans 9.22, describes those who have been fitted or prepared for destruction by their own choice and by the hand of God. As we learned, this reference to destruction is surprisingly a noun. It's not a verb. In other words, this group of people have literally prepared themselves for relationship with the beast, whose name in Greek is Apollyon, destroyer, and in Hebrew, Abaddon, destruction. The Spirit calls them vessels of wrath. This is the name which describes this whole lot who have made their abode in the earth, in the kingdom of darkness that is ruled by the demonic. This is the same group to whom we have referred to as the accursed. And this segment of humanity will, in the future, worship the first beast whose deadly wound was caused to be healed. This just happens to be one of those times that the future tense is used in the book of Revelation. The Supernatural Great Signs, Revelation 13, 13 through 14. And he now performs great signs so that he even now might make fire now come down out of heaven to the earth in the sight of men. And he now deceives those who are now dwelling on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the sight of the beast now telling those who are now dwelling on the earth to make an image to the beast who now has the wound of the sword and lived. From an end times narrative, the code is shocking. This passage is dominated by the Spirit's use of the present tense. This is happening even now, and it has been happening since the time of John. How bizarre is that? And he now performs great signs, so that he even now might make fire now come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he now deceives those who are now dwelling on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, now telling those who are now dwelling on the earth to make an image to the beast who now has the wound of the sword and lived. How can this be true? How can the second beast be performing such great signs in the presence or in the sight of men? An even more salient question is, how have Christians come to miss it or not understand what is happening? Great signs. And he now performs great signs. This word translated as signs means a mark or an indication, as if these great things he performs are his monogram or signature that indicates to all of humanity that what they are witnessing is from his hands. And since these are great or mega signs, what this second beast does must be so incredible, supernatural in form, that it captivates the intention of humanity. Fire from heaven, so that he even now might make fire now come down out of heaven to the earth in the sight of men. This second beast is a showman, and he ensures that this great signs are done publicly, visibly, in the sight of men. These are demonstrative signs often cloaked in the raiments of Christianity and they are intended to keep people looking anywhere other than to Christ for hope, for help, for salvation. There are several historical incidences where something like fire now comes down out of heaven, resulting in mass deception 
people affirming their belief and faith in the religious institutions of man, whether Jewish, Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant. However, it seems that those in the West, well, let's just say those in the United States, have been largely uninterested and so has not captivated our attention as the second beast would hope. But let's review some crazy examples of these great signs. Number one, on May 13th, 1917, the Mother Mary, who is also known as Our Lady of Fatima, appeared to three children in Portugal in a place called Cova da Eria. It was at noon. The children were shepherding sheep and suddenly fire came down from heaven like lightning. Then, just above an oak tree, they saw a beautiful woman made of light holding a rosary in her hand. She told the kids many things and even showed them hell where their souls of poor sinners go. She said that to save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to her immaculate heart, which means to unite oneself to Mary, imitating her virtues, and thereby becoming more devoted to loving God and loving Jesus. She also promised that on October 13th of that year, she would reveal her name and perform a great miracle to vindicate the truth of her apparitions to the children and around the world. Number two, the miracle of the sun occurred on October 13, 1917 in Fatima, Portugal. The miracle was witnessed by 70,000 to 100,000 who believed that it was the end of the world. On that day, it is reported that Satan had created a vicious storm across Europe. And even though Lucifer turned the roads to mud, people came from all the surrounding villages to Fatima expecting to see Mary. The children arrived just before noon, and they claimed she would arrive at midday. There was the familiar flashing of lightning, fire from the sky, and suddenly she was there. She raised her hand in the direction of the sun, the brilliant light emanating from her hand, shot up into the sky. The clouds instantly parted, revealing the sun. The sun turned from a blinding gold to dull silver, and it began to descend upon the people. It spun like a fireball and looked as if it would fall to the earth. Streaks of various colors shot out like sparks from a wheel, covering the people. Reds, yellow, blues, greens hurled down. The people were terrified. Then it stopped, and the sun moved back into its proper place. There were confessions everywhere. The clothes of those who were previously soaked were suddenly dry, and the mud which had been caked on them was suddenly gone. They were clean. It is said that in this finale of heavenly apparitions, the Queen of Heaven, under the title of the Queen of the Rosary, catapulted into motion a movement which, though slow in the beginning, has encompassed the entire world in Marian devotion as people have become completely enthralled by love for Mary. Number three, you might want to download the transcript because there's some great images. There was another apparition of Mary in Zaitun, Cairo. Zaitun is rumored to be one of the locations that Joseph and Mary stopped on their flight to Egypt when fleeing King Herod's slaughter of the innocents. This was considered a mass miracle because it occurred during a period of about three years. Our Lady of Zaitun, whom they called Our Lady of Light, appeared in a district of Cairo, Egypt, beginning on April 2nd, 1968. The miracle was witnessed by millions of people and was even caught on film. It is the most witnessed Marian apparition of the 20th century. 
Mary appears as a bright light over a church just hanging out there. Mary appeared weekly, especially on feast days. Oddly, this occurred in a Muslim community, but at a Coptic church. Mary was witnessed by Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Coptics, and even secular Marxists, like the former Egyptian president Abdel Nasser. Apparently, this event influenced him more in his relations with Christians, which before that time was extremely hostile. As you would expect, the government was skeptical, and they shut the power down to that district, but still Mary would appear shining in the darkness. In addition to the light of her brilliance, it was reported that large, luminous doves moved swiftly across the sky, and at times flying in formations of two, seven, or twelve, and in the shape of a cross. Incense, as from millions of censers, billowed up around her with a sweet fragrance. There were mysterious flashing lights, a canopy of shooting stars like a shower of diamonds made of light, as one witness recalled. Many miraculous healings occurred too from blindness, polio, paralysis, cripples, cancer, and terminal illness. There was also spiritual conversions of Muslims and others to Christianity. Number four, probably the most famous appearance of fire from heaven is the miracle of holy fire connected with the Greek Orthodox Church. It is deemed to be the longest attended annual miracle in the Christian world. It has been continuously documented since 1106 AD. On the appointed day at noon, the Greek Orthodox Patriarch, followed by the Armenian Archbishop, march in a grand and solemn procession with their own clergies while singing hymns. They march three times around the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where it is believed that Jesus' tomb is located. Once the procession has ended, the Orthodox Patriarch of Jerusalem, or another Orthodox Archbishop, recites a specific prayer, removes his robes, and enters alone into the sepulchre. Before entering the tomb of Christ, the Patriarch is examined by Jewish-Israeli authorities to prove that he does not carry technical means to light the fire. This investigation used to be carried out by the Muslim Turkish Ottoman soldiers. Armenian archbishops remained in the antechamber where the angel purportedly was sitting when he appeared to Mary after the resurrection of Jesus. The congregation of thousands subsequently chants, Lord, have mercy, until the holy fire spontaneously appears while the patriarch is alone inside the tomb chamber. He then lights his 33 white candles that are tied together. Patriarch then reveals himself from the tomb chamber and recites some prayers before he distributes the lit candles to the congregation. The flame is then passed from candle to candle and then placed in lanterns so that it can be spread far and wide. The fire is considered by believers to be the flame of the resurrection power, as well as the fire of the burning bush of Mount Sinai. Pilgrims claim the holy fire does not burn their hair, faces, clothes, or anything else during the first 33 minutes of its appearance. During this time, many of the attendees bathed their face and hands in the flame without being harmed. Various websites have recent videos claiming to show worshipers having prolonged contact with the flames without discomfort or damage to skin or hair. Other Great Signs As far as other great signs done in the sight of men, 
There's a story of St. Joseph of, of Cupertino, who lived from 1603 to 1663. He is nicknamed the Flying Saint. It's recorded that he levitated over 70 times. His most famous flight occurred during a papal audience before Pope Urban XIII. He bent down to kiss the Pope's feet, and he was suddenly filled with reverence for the Pope and was lifted into the air where he experienced ecstasies along with his flight. Then, of course, many have read recent accounts of people who have died and reportedly gone to heaven and seen Jesus and the amazing glories of heaven. Even though their accounts provide details about heaven and about our future, that is inconsistent with what has already been revealed in the Codex. There are modern miracles connected with the communion host. In one instance in Chirtakonam, India, the host suddenly transformed and bore the face of a man, of Christ with a crown of thorns. In Sokota, Poland, the host was found to contain a bright red stain like a living particle of a body. And when studied by scientific experts, it turned out to be a piece of myocardial or heart tissue. This is believed to evidence the miracle of transubstantiation, where the communion host is believed to transform from a mere wafer into the literal body of Christ. There are many other great recorded signs in church history, such as the stigmatica, people who spontaneously have on their body the piercings of Christ. By location, people who survive by eating only of the sacraments while refusing any food or water for extended periods of time without any negative impact on their health, and so on. Perhaps these are some of the ways that this second beast is already performing great signs in the sight of men. These stories are treated by many within the religion of Christianity as modern-day miracles and sources of hope and comfort. Great deception. And he now deceives those who are now dwelling on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the sight of the beast. Because of the great signs that he is allowed to work in the sight of humanity and in the sight of the beast, the second beast now deceives those who are now making their permanent abode on the earth. In this deception, he keeps people worshiping demons instead of Yahweh, for he keeps fixing their gaze on bright, shiny things, essentially anything other than the true work of Jesus Christ, where everything is experienced by grace through faith. For example, drawing from the prior examples, the Lady of Fatima, the Mother Mary, revealed to the children that her name is the Queen of Heaven. This is a name found in the Codex, for she was a god that was worshipped by the Jews as an act of spite and defiance to Yahweh. In fact, this name is ascribed to many female deities or quasi-deities throughout time, which had led masses into idolatrous worship. The Queen of Heaven has also been known as Ashtoreth or Astarte from the Canaanites, Ishtar from the Akkadians, Isis, Egyptians, Aphrodite, Greeks, Venus, Romans, and Diana, Asia Minor. It's the same spirit that is worshipped just expressed in different forms in different cultures. The title Queen of Heaven is applied to the mother of Jesus, derived in part from an ancient teaching that Mary, at the end of her earthly life, was bodily and spiritually assumed into heaven. And there she is honored as queen by the Trinity. This assumption, which, by the way, is a huge, gigantic assumption, 
means that she now has a physical body in heaven and is not just a soul like all others who have died and gone to heaven. In other words, in the same way that Jesus was assumed into heaven in a physical body, so was Mary. As such, she is special and set apart. For all other believers must wait until the rapture to get their physical eternal bodies, but not so with Mary. It's also believed that Mary should be called Queen of Heaven, not only because of her divine motherhood of Jesus, she is purported to be without original sin by the Catholic Church, but also because God the Father has willed her to have an exceptional role in the work of the eternal salvation of humanity. According to the papal authorities, Mary assisted in the redemption of humanity by giving her own substance, meaning Jesus, which assumes that she was not just a surrogate of a divine zygote, but must have contributed her flesh, her holy and sinless egg, and freely offering him by her singular desire and petition for an active interest in human salvation. Again, according to the papal authorities, she is queen because she is a partner in the redemption of humanity. As Christ, the new Adam, must be called a king, Mary is the new Eve, earning her the title of queen. She is called the queen of prophets, queen of apostles, queen of martyrs, queen of confessors, queen of virgins, and queen of all saints. She is also viewed as the avenue to Christ as the grantor of divine grace. Pope Leo XIII said, The recourse we have to Mary in prayer follows upon the office she continuously fills by the side of the throne of God as mediatrix of divine grace, being by worthiness and by merit most acceptable to him, and therefore surpassing in power all the angels and saints in heaven. Now this merciful office of hers perhaps appears in no other form of prayer so manifestly as it does in the rosary. How is that for mass deception? The entire Marian doctrine is invented from myth, fiction, and demonic influence and simply cannot be supported by the word of God. Yet 50% of known Christendom, approximately 1.2 out of 2.4 billion people, have already been deceived to worship this demonic deception. It is interesting to note that Our Lady of Fatima just happens to also be the name of the daughter of the prophet Muhammad, who brought the world Islam. She is likened to the Virgin Mary because of her purity and is said to have given birth to the second and third imams and is the ancestor of all succeeding imams. It is said that the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that God has built a place for her in paradise. Muslim exegesis of the Quranic verse 342 links the praise of Mary, the mother of Jesus, with the exaltation of Fatima as being among the most outstanding women of all time. So even within Islam, there's a place of acceptance and honor for the queen of heaven, the mother Mary. Apparently, we must add another 1.9 billion to this demonic deception. The Marian deceptions runs thick and crosses over large segments of the world, both within Christendom and amongst the Muslim peoples. This is the work of the second beast, in the sight of the beast. Because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the sight of the beast. Okay, so let's figure this one out. We know that the second beast is even now performing these great signs. 
But we also have learned that the beast is interned in the abyss and is locked away so deep in the darkness that all those in, in the demonic kingdom now believe him to be dead. We also have learned that the beast will not be released from the abyss until the blowing of the fifth trumpet judgment, well into the first three and a half years of the tribulation. This therefore begs the question, how does this second beast perform these great signs in the sight, or literally, in the face of the beast? The Art of Agency As we discussed before, both the dragon and the beast have taken their cues from Yahweh and has mastered the art of agency. Spirit told us that the beast has found a way to even now be active in this world, or to be, as he said, continually rising. The implication is that the beast works through agency, through various demonic spirits that do not confess Jesus is of God. And every spirit that does not now confess Jesus is now not of God, and this is now that of Antichrist. You've heard that it should now choose to come referencing the spirit of the Antichrist. And even now, it is now already in the world. And in every principle slash agency relationship, the principle is the one who is accountable for all that its agents do, as the principle is ascribed full legal responsibility for their agents' deeds. Accordingly, the deeds are deemed to be done in the principle's sight, which is a metaphorical way of saying that they are done with the principle's approval. In the same way that Yahweh takes ultimate responsibility for all that his agents do, so this rule of principle slash agency seems to apply to the beast and to the spirits that do work on his behalf. In other words, the act and deeds of the beast's agents are his works done with his permission according to his direction. It is as an agent of the beast that the second beast performs these great signs all according to the permission direction, and approval of the beast. In effect, they are done in his sight. Performed in the heart of Christianity. Our study on the sanctuary versus the temple in Revelation 11, verses 1 through 2, provides a scary revelation that the beast has set up his center of operations, and it is located right smack dab center in the enemy's tent. This is where his agents, including the second beast, do their best work. The Spirit has revealed that though the beast has yet to be revealed to humanity, he has taken his seat or his authority in the sanctuary of God within the center of the religion of Christianity, declaring that he now is God for his mystery of lawlessness is now already at work. All of this should be fairly evident in that he has provided us many forms of Jesus to believe in. Hence, all the different denominations with varying views of what it means to follow God, to serve God, and to love God, each with a somewhat different Jesus. This is truly one of the second beast's most significant wonders. For now, the beast is restrained in terms of his appearance, but in his time, what restrains him will be removed and he will be revealed. But until that time that he is revealed, He will continue to work great signs in the midst of Christianity in an attempt to keep the peoples of God worshiping another Christ. Let's stop here and we'll pick up on our next podcast with more on the second beast, the false prophet. I'm glad you've tuned in and have been ready to listen.
To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.